How are you doing today? Good, good. Good to see all of you here. Great crowd again this Sunday. That's awesome. Um, you know, we try not to extend the uh, announcement portion any more than we absolutely have to. Uh, but at this time of year, there's a couple of things that, that I'm tasked with by the board of directors and, and other areas of ministry. So let me just go over a couple of things real quick. Uh, if you haven't already, you'll be receiving this week a letter in the mail. You say a letter, not an email or no, a letter. Okay. If it's from Genu, open it. Don't throw it in the trash. Uh, I just sent out a letter to all of our uh, congregation, those that are a part of the congregation here physically, those that are around the world as well, and to all of our donors as well. Just, just asking for you to, if you can, if you have a little extra this year, just give a little extra between now and the end of the year. Uh, we've had a lot of projects and a lot of things that have gone on around here that we had to do. We had to put a new roof on the uh, children's, children and uh, uh, academy building this year. A lot of other stuff that come up that we weren't expecting. We had to do that. But that's not really why we're saying, hey, we want you to give. We literally, listen to me, as of from, from last year this time to this year, we have a 15% increase in attendance in this building. You say, wow, only 15. No, let me tell you, when church growth in America is in the negative numbers, Jen, you had 15% growth this year. We're, to God be the glory for that. To God be the glory. And it's across the board in all of our departments as well, with our children, with our students, with everything. Everything's hitting. We are sponsoring ministries and missionaries all around the world. We gave about $7,000 to Project Rescue last year, which is a project that literally takes uh, young women and young girls off the streets and uh, uh, out of human trafficking. And we're purchasing them, putting them in homes, getting them education, and then putting them back into the workforce, back in the workplace. We do that. Uh, we've got sharing and caring here in the area that we sponsor. We do all types of things throughout the year and that doesn't stop. And I know that people are really squeamish right now. We don't know what the economy is going to do. We don't know what's going to happen. Let me tell you something today. Okay. God's hands are not tied by the world economy. Okay. I mean, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills, but you know what's even more important? He owns the cotton picking hills too. Okay. He owns it all. He owns it all. So trust God. Do what you can. I'm not asking you to break the bank. I'm just asking you to do something if you can. Uh, Christmas Day, uh, we will not have in-person services here. Uh, we're going to do a Christmas Eve day, but we will be streaming this afternoon. The staff, we're going to be here. We're going to be recording the Christmas Day service today after, serve, after church. And uh, on Christmas morning, you stay home, uh, eat your, your Christmas, whatever your traditional Christmas breakfast is with your family, exchange your gifts, have a good time, sleep in. Longer than if, you, if your kids will let you, you know, uh, in our house, it's not our kids that keep us. It's me. I'm usually up early, so it, I just love Christmas. But uh, we're going to be streaming it four times Christmas Day, and you can, you can watch that with your family. Uh, but on Christmas Eve this year, we're bringing something back that we did many years ago that was just so beautiful, a time together, and that is private family communions. And we're going to be doing that from 4.30 to 6.30 on Christmas afternoon. You have to sign up for a time slot. You can do that online or you can stop by the hub. They'll, have, they'll hook you up. Okay, they'll take care of it. Now, here's what I want you to know. We have to have, you know, right now, and, and here, Jenny, we love you, but you're notorious for waiting till the 11th hour and 59th minute to sign up for stuff. Don't do this because here's the thing. Sign up is at the end of signups or next Sunday. And if we don't have a solid number of people coming, say, so what's that number? More than we have right now. 
then we, I'm not bringing the staff and the elders and everybody out on Christmas afternoon for a couple of hours if it's not something that you feel is important for you and your family. And I'm not trying to guilt you. I'm just stating a fact. We want to do this. It's a beautiful time together. And it doesn't matter if you've got one in your family or, or 101. It doesn't matter. We will serve them communion. So sign up, okay? <laughs> all right, well, we'll see. Everybody all right today? All right. You might need to grab the person next to you and right underneath the arm there, pinch and twist real quick just to make sure they're awake. It's, it's an alarm clock. It's an alarm clock. You're doing it in Jesus' name. All right. We are in a four-part series entitled God Can. Uh, we talked the first Sunday, I talked to you about God can do things that we think he can't. Last Sunday, I talked to you about God can restore, and I've, I've received so much response uh, from that. And, uh, and so I appreciate all the, all the kudos and stuff, but I hope that, that it, it struck a chord, and I hope that it's helped you move into a place of at least beginning the process of restoration in your life, in your relationships. Today, we're going to talk about a topic that has created quite a buzz around here. Today, I'm going to talk to you about God can walk away. God can walk away. Now, I know that that, um, that, that title has created a lot of buzz because a lot of you have asked me some questions. You've been trying to get inside information on what are you going to say? I mean, I, you know, okay, here's the thing. Most of you that have been around for any length, you know my background. I, I grew up in church. I'm fifth generation Pentecostal, uh, raised in church. The first place my parents took me was to church. I have not always served Jesus. Uh, there was a number of years that, that I did not. And, uh, and so, you know, and thanks to, really and truly thanks to my grandmother and my mother and ultimately my wife, I do love Jesus and I serve Jesus today. Um, but I grew up, I grew up in, a, in, a, in a tradition that... Um, and I don't ever recall this being said, okay? So don't misunderstand what I'm, I'm saying. I was taught this, but somehow I picked up this idea that I could get saved on Sunday morning and by lunchtime be on my way to hell again. I mean, I just, you know, and so it, it, it you know, I mean, it's, you can get saved, you can do or say something and then boom, you're on your way to hell. Now, it was never said, but somehow uh, it was something that I, that I understood, and it created a lot of anxiety and fear as a young kid because I was afraid I was going to lose my salvation. And I mean, I remember many nights waking up in the middle of the night, calling for my mom and dad, and they would come, I, I just don't want to miss the rapture. Please pray that Jesus will save. I got saved thousands of times. I mean, every Sunday, every Sunday night, every Wednesday in youth service and children's ministry, every night of youth camp, every time a evangelist would come through, we're all in the altars getting saved every single night. And, uh, and so, you know, it created a lot of fear about this losing my salvation thing. And I know that many of you, we, we, are, we are, when it comes to a um, tradition here at Gen U, we're, a, we're just a melting pot of different religious backgrounds. And so I, I get that. But about 25 years ago, I came to the realization and the understanding of God's grace for me. And, and I began to, at that point in time, I began to study grace. And what does God's grace, what is God's grace? How does his mercy and his grace work? And all the things that go along with it. I spent my life since then, the last 25 years, 
understanding grace, attempting to correctly interpret the Bible regarding grace. And so, like I said, GNU is a very rare and unique community of faith. We have so many different religious backgrounds and traditions here. And so with that in mind, I'm going to try to unpack this idea that God can walk away. Now, there's always a disclaimer, right? So I'm going to, this is my disclaimer. I realize that what I'm about to embark on this morning and what I'm going to say today, I'm going to say some things that are going to go against just about everybody in this place, your religious tradition. You know, if, if you're traditional Pentecostal, I'm going to probably get you this morning. If you're traditional Southern Baptist, I'm going to get you this morning. If you've got some other religious background, I'll probably get you. I'll be an, I'll be an op, equal opportunity offender today. I'll just tell you straight up. Uh, but I just believe that it's important to understand this idea God can walk away. And so we're going to unpack it. I'm not going to give you an opinion today. Uh, I don't, I'm going to try to stay in my 20, 25 minute realm that I've been doing uh, for the longest time. I want to stay. I know it was a little bit long last week, but I needed that to unpack the rest- restoration piece. So here goes. Okay. Everybody good? All right. Um, <clears throat> I am a firm believer in the security of the believer. I'm a firm believer in the security of the believer. I believe in it 100%. I do. Uh, I do not believe that we can backslide and be on our way to hell at the drop of a hat. I don't believe that we can take our salvation on and take it off like we change socks. I don't think it works that way. I did that. I did when I was a kid and even even in my young adult years. But I don't believe that anymore. I believe in the security of the believer. And I believe the Bible gives us credibility and background and it backs it up 100%. However, I do not believe in the idea that once we're saved, we're always saved. I, I've, I've looked and I know, I know that some of you are hyperventilating right now. And I'm, I'm, pleased, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be very gracious with this, okay? Because I don't want to offend anybody here today. I really don't. I joke about being an equal opportunity offender, but I don't want to offend anybody. But I spent the better part of 40 years trying to unpack God's word and trying to understand God's word. And I've done a lot of background, I've done a lot of research on this. I've read a lot of other denominations, other religious traditions, papers on this and their writings on this. Um, and, and I just cannot biblically wrap my head around the idea that just because I say a prayer or I quote what somebody's telling me to say, and I believe in this idea that I'm in for good for, for life, regardless of how I live, I can't find any way to back that up in the Bible. Um, and, and I'll say this to you, I'll be glad to have a conversation with you about this at a later date. But I'm not going to argue this with anybody. Um, you know, I have many, 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 many dear friends that, uh, that are ministers of other religious traditions, and, and we have conversations about this on a regular basis. But I'm certainly not going to argue this with anybody. But I can tell you this, there are too many passages in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, that show us differently. That it's not about saying something, getting saved, and then you're just, you're in regardless of what happens in your life and regardless of how you live. That's not in there. It's just not. 
So I'm going to use a couple of passages today, and, 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 and here again, I'm not, I'm not beating up on people. It's hot up here, and I'm nervous as a cat in a room full of rocking chairs. Let's look at Matthew 25 first, okay? I want you to see something in a parable that Jesus taught. He talked about um, a wedding feast. And he's talking about the, ki- the kingdom of heaven. And it's, like, it's going to be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now, and we all know that the, the bridegroom is Jesus and, and, you know, and the bride is church, all, all that kind of, we know that, we understand that. But notice this, in verse two, five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took jars in oil, oil in jars along with their lamps. Now, the bridegroom was a long time in coming, and this has always been uh, you know, akin to Jesus returning and all of this, and so we understand that piece of it. But the bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy, and they fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. And they all woke up, they trimmed their lamps, and the foolish ones said to the wise, and I want you to notice here, the only thing that, that, that delineates between wise individuals and foolish ones was that they didn't have additional oil with them. That's it. But notice, notice, this, notice how this is, is unpacked here. Jesus is teaching this. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. They're not out. All 10 of them have lamps. The lamp is always the light of Jesus and all the things. They're all there. Their lamps are still burning. But the wick is getting smaller and the flame is getting smaller. And they said, give us some of your oil. Now, here's the thing. And it's always been taught this way and I'm teaching it. And this is biblical. This is accurate. You can't get anywhere else on somebody. You can't get anywhere for yourself on someone else's faith. I can't believe in Jesus and, and save Crystal Belk. I can't do that. Crystal's got to believe for herself. Just as Mike and everyone else, we all have to believe for ourselves. I can't, I can't be your salvation. I can't be your light. You have to have your own light. I can't be your oil. We all have to have our own oil. But in this instance here, their, lap, their lamps are not out. They're going out. And they reply, the, the wise say, no, there's not enough for both of us. Instead, go to the sell oil, buy some for yourselves. But here's verse 10. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in to the wedding banquet and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. I don't know you. Again, the words of Jesus in Matthew 7. Jesus is talking and he says this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only the one who does the will of my father. Verse 22, many will say to me on that day, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name, drive out demons. And in your name, perform many miracles. And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, evildoers. 
And, it, and, and listen to me, here's the thing that you need to understand today. It may not be prophesying or it may not be driving out demons or even performing miracles. It may be that, hey, I led a small group for you, Jesus. I worked in the nursery for you, Jesus. I visited the sick for you, Jesus. I did all of these things for you, Jesus. And he says to them, I don't know you. I don't know you. So I, I, I come back around to one of my opening statements. It's not about the words that we say in a service or in a youth camp or at a children's where It's not the words that we say. It's what happens inside our hearts and how we live our life that makes a difference and determines whether or not. You say, but we're saved by grace through faith and it's not a work that anybody should do. I'm there totally, 100%. But I'm telling you, if you're saved by grace through faith, There's going to be some stuff that follows you after that moment because a transformation will take place because the same Bible also says that if I'm a new person in Christ Jesus, all things are new in my life and all things are of God. That's Bible. But we have people living their lives every day, filling our churches and not filling our churches that are going, I'm okay because I got saved when I was a little kid or I got saved when I was a teenager or I got saved 10 years ago. But yet there's absolutely no fruit and there's absolutely no life for Jesus and there's no transformation that takes place. So my fear is that everybody's sitting here going, well, I'm okay. Me me and God are tight. And God's looking down going, I don't know you. I believe, I do not believe that you can lose your salvation. But I believe that you and I can walk away from it. And unless we come back to God, we ourselves become lost. It's not that we walk away from salvation. Not that we, not that we lose our salvation. It's that we walk away from it and we set it down and go, I don't want this anymore. I don't want this anymore. I'll deal with that right at the end of my life when I have just a moment before I go into eternity, I'll say, Jesus, forgive me. But right now I'm young and I want to live my life the way I want to live my life. Or I'm older and I want to live my life the way I want to live my life. And I don't care what the Bible says. God's just got to be okay with it. And I'm here today to tell you guys, God's not okay with sin in our life. God's not okay with anger and bitterness and lust and greed and all of those things. He's not okay with that. He's not okay with sleeping around with people that you're not married to. He's not okay with that. He's not okay with addiction. He's not okay with, with gossip. He's not okay with discord. He's not okay with disunity. He's not okay with hatred. God's not okay with it. And it's time for the church, I can't speak for any other church, but it is time for Generations United Church to go through a spirit of repentance and come back to God at a level that God becomes the sole focus of our life. And everything that we do is in and through him. That we live that Jesus Christ is Lord of our life. That we live that. We live that. The prodigal son in Luke 15, he left. He left. Oh, but yes, 
But what was, the, what was the key to the prodigal being reunited with the father? He came home. He came home. Dad's sitting on the porch, looking down the road, waiting, waiting, waiting. But what would have happened if he never returned home? What would have happened if he never returned home? Those who do not live the will of God. Not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, only those who do the will. Those who do not live the will of God, they choose to live contrary to God's word. They live in open will for sin. They live in unforgiveness. They live, it, it, it's, it's moving from, what I'm saying to you this morning is we have to move from believing in a theory of Jesus and following Jesus in every way. I'm not looking for perfection I'm, because none of us will ever achieve it. There's only been one perfect and they nailed him to a cross. But I'm telling you, they nailed him to a cross so that his blood would shed and he would die and go in the grave, come back the third day, go to heaven, send the Holy Spirit so you and I will have an advocate that is with us that enables us to live the life that God expects us to live. It's moving from belief to follow. Here's, here's a thought. You say, well, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. That's what the Bible says. It is. But it also says this, that even demons believe. Well, Phil, this is, this is really a heavy message here right before Christmas. It is. And I tried six ways to Sunday to do something else with this today, and I couldn't. This has been burning in my spirit for literally, even before I started putting this series together, this has been burning in my spirit. Because we have such a weak version of Christ followers in the United States of America. And then the argument's always this, yes, but nothing can separate us from God. And I'm telling you, that's not what scripture says. Oh, but height nor depth, principle, nothing can separate us from God. That's not what it says. It says this, I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons nor present nor future nor any powers, height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hell is and will be filled with people. And there'll not be one single individual there that God doesn't and didn't love. Nothing's going to separate you. You can't do enough for God to not love you. But just as when we're raising our own children, our love for them never goes away. But sometimes they do. And they get away. They're doing things that you know they shouldn't do. Making bad decisions. It doesn't change your love. But you know they're lost as a ball in high weeds. You don't and you can't lose your salvation, but you can walk away from it. And the struggle's real. See, here's the thing. The struggle is not the problem. If you're in the struggle, things are probably okay between you and God. The problem is when you raise the white flag and go, I'm not fighting this anymore. I'm just going to embrace this. 
I'm going to embrace this identity. I'm going to embrace this lifestyle. I'm going to embrace this sin. I'm going to embrace this. I can't help myself. I'm going to do it. And you know what? Same thing happened to Paul. Paul said this. He said, the things that I want to do, I don't do. But the things I don't want to do, that's what I do. Deliver me from this body of death. Paul had a struggle. Well, what was Paul's struggle? I have no idea. I wasn't there. I didn't. He and I weren't friends. We didn't talk. I don't know any more than I know yours, but I know that he had a struggle. He had a struggle. And whatever it is that you're facing this morning, if you're in that struggle and you're fighting against it and you know it's not right and you're fighting and you're fighting and you're fighting and you're fighting, guess what? Things are probably okay between you and the Lord because you're in the fight. You're battling. You're pushing. You're pushing back on it. You're saying, I'm not going to do this. And then you do. And then you feel bad about it. But God says, wait a minute, my grace is there. And what do you do? You turn back. Look at David. David gives me hope. (laughs) David gives me hope. He wasn't a Christian ever. You didn't know that, did you? David came like before Christ. But yet he gives me hope because he was a man after God's own heart. Why? He was an adulterer. He was a murderer. He did all kind of bad stuff. Killed tens of thousands of people by his own hand. Kill people all the time. Then one of his closest, one of his closest men in his, in his squad, he had an affair with his wife. And then had his best friend, one of his best friends killed. But yet every time God confronts David with the truth, David immediately repents and turns back to God. God help us all have the spirit of David. That when we realize that we screwed up, We don't justify our screw up. We look to God and go, forgive me. Create in me a clean heart. Forgive me of my iniquities. Forgive me of my sin. Renew a steadfast spirit in me. It's when we raise the right flag of our struggle and go, I've struggled long enough. I'm just going to embrace this and this is who I am now. That's the problem. That's when you take your salvation and you set it on a shelf and you walk away from it. And you say, I'm not going to live the way God instructs me to live. So what about God walking away? We talked a lot about our ability to walk away. What about God walking away? Well, here's the thing I want you to understand. God never abandons his children. He never abandons his children. But his children are those that do the will of the Father. Not just someone that's made, said some word somewhere. Hebrews 13, 5, God says, I will never leave you. Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all the world, baptize them, doing all this kind of stuff, and surely I'm with you all the way to the very end of the age. God never abandons us. But did you know that there are times, there are times that God will step back from us just a little bit. Now listen to me. There are times when God steps back, Roy, but his eyes are always on his children. They're always on his children. You say, well, you got to give me some example. Okay, I'll give you an example. From the Bible, too. What about Job? What about Job? I mean, Job was perfect and upright. God's words, not mine. Perfect and upright. The enemy came, Satan came, said, hey, I want to 
smack him around. God said, okay, you can, don't take his life, but smack him around because I trust him. He, he trusts in me and I know his faith. Oh, he's going to deny you. No, he won't. But there were seasons. I don't know how long all that stuff lasted in Job's life. I don't know. We talked a little bit about it last week. Ultimately, God restored Job. But there were seasons of Job's life where he lost everything and he lost his health. He lost everything except his wife. And he's going through all this. Where's God? God, where are you? God, he complains. He com- God, Job complains. He complains so much that finally God said, hang on a minute, dude. Let me ask you some questions. Where, where were you when the stars came into existence? Where were you when I put the fish in the sea? Where were you? But there was a season when God was silent in Job's life. There was a season that Job didn't know where God was. And Job thought that God had abandoned him. I know no one at Generations United has ever felt that way. Except the pastor. But there are those seasons that God removes our ability to sense or feel him. And it's, that's because he's trying to test us to see if our trust in him will remain faithful. What did Job say? Even though God kills me, I will still serve him. Job passed the test. Job passed the test. But Phil, you still haven't answered the question, can God walk away? I'm getting there. Romans 1, verse 18. There's a whole passage here. It talks about the wrath of God being revealed from heaven, you know, and verse 19 says, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God made it plain, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, the eternal power, divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, verse 21, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. Very important. If you got your word out this morning, highlight verse 21 there. If, you, if you're in you version, you can highlight it there as well. Although they knew God, the word knew there is knowledge. It's Knowledge. They neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, here's where we get down to what we're talking about this morning. Therefore, God gave them over. In their, sexu- in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Another picture of God stepping back. Stepping back. Because they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and God stepped back. There's a little passage of scripture in the Old Testament 
Very obscure. I haven't heard anybody say anything about this in decades. But Genesis 6-3 says this, and this is preceding the flood leading up to when the flood took place in the Genesis account. But God says this, my spirit will not contend with humans forever. Some translations say strive. Some translations they say draw or dwell. It, it's all inclusive of all those. My spirit will not contend. My spirit will not strive. My spirit will not draw. My spirit will not dwell with humans forever. There is a point in time when God says, enough. And then he says in Genesis 6-3, he said, their days will be 120 years. Now, this is not a lifespan, as some have misunderstood. Well, they're going to live, because if you read, you know, people live longer than that after, even after the flood. But it's not a lifespan. It's the time, it's the period of time that this is specifically referring to that precedes the flood. If you go to the book of Jonah, uh, in chapter four and verse five, you see that God actually says 40 days and Nineveh will be restored. There's always this warning. There's this thing that precedes. Boom. That's what this is talking about here. All the way back in the Old Testament, God says, there's an expiration date on this. I wanted to make sure that I understood this correctly. So I had Tommy uh, contact Rabbi Kurzweil, a Jewish rabbi friend of his, and, and I wanted to know what, if you really want to understand, get, get a Jewish person that understands, especially a rabbi, they kind of just go, boom. So here's what, here's what Rabbi Kurzweil said. Man repeatedly failed to show superiority over the other creatures of the world despite having a divine soul. What are we, made in the image of Christ, right? What did the man choose? Man chose lawlessness and all the things that follow. God said, I will not continue to strive or contend or dwell or complain about man forever. God grants mankind 120 years to change their ways. In other words, God grants mankind 120 years leading up to the flood. Rabbi Steinsalt says this, if man does not change, humanity will cease to exist in its current form. Man will undermine the justification for their existence. I know this morning, this is not your typical December, Christmas, all the little baby Jesus, sweet, nice, and this is not a rah-rah type message. But what better time to get our lives right with God than the season that we celebrate him coming on the scene to begin with so that we can be right with our creator. You see, it really boils down to this. At the end of it all, when you and I stand before God, when you and I stand before God, he will say one of two things. He will say, well done, or he'll say, depart from me. If he says, well done, then he says, enter thou, come in to heaven, to eternity. If he says, depart from me, 
Then he turns, he says, depart from me, I never knew you. And he turns his back and walks into eternity without you. So the answer to the question, can God walk away, is yes. That's the answer to the question. God can walk away from those who refuse his son. There will be a time when God says, enough, depart, I do not know you. The good news today is that that time's not now. The good news today is that we can return. He hasn't said that yet. The good news, just as with the prodigal, is that the father is waiting on the porch for us to turn back toward him. Live your life. Live my life. We've got to live as though he's coming today. And we've got to ask ourselves this morning, are we a believer or are we a follower? Because there's a difference. Does your life testify of the risen Lord? If you were put on trial this morning for your faith, is there enough evidence to convict you? Do you live Jesus? Do you live according to the word of God? Well, I don't know that I, look, what you don't know this morning, what you don't know this morning is that your opinion doesn't matter when it comes to eternity. Neither does mine. The thing that matters is it that I know Jesus and I live according to the will of the Father in heaven, which we find in the word of God. No, you can't lose your salvation. You can put it down and walk away from it and become lost. But yes, there'll be a time when God says enough. And then he has to make a statement to you and I, and it'll be one of two statements. Well done or depart. And at that point, he walks away. Today, today is the day to return to God. Let's stand all over the building. Today is the day. Not tomorrow, not I want to think about this a little bit longer. None of those things. Today is the day. Lay down your selfish lifestyle, lay down your sin, lay down anything today that is between you and God. Come back to the Father today. Now the question is today, who am I talking to in this house? Who am I talking to? Are you living for God? Does your life show that you're living for God? If not, you need to return to God. You can't just stand back there over the pig trough as the prodigal expecting the father to come to you. The father did. He drew you here today in this place. He said, well, I'd have known this was going to go on. I'd have stayed at the house. But you didn't. You didn't. You say, well, if you'll, if you'll have everybody bow their head, I'll, I'll come to the front. No. We're going to do this with our eyes wide open and our heads up in the air. If you need to come back to God today, I don't care how long you think you've served Jesus. If you know that God's dealing with your heart this morning and you know that you need to come back to God today, in Jesus' name, come front, come forward right now. Come back to the Father. In Jesus' name, don't stop. Don't hesitate. Some of you need to be running. 
Some of you need to be squalling. Some of you need to be doing whatever you got to do. But you come back to God today. Because today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of repentance. Repentance begins at the house of the Lord. That's where it begins. I need to come back to God. You're not standing before me. Y'all find a place to just kneel here across the front. Well, altar workers begin to come and just begin to minister to these across the front. I got to come back to God today. I'm coming back to the Father. I'm a prodigal. I don't want God to look at me and go, I don't know you. Depart from me. I don't want God to walk away from me. Anybody else in the house this morning? You need to make this statement. You need to come. You say, well, can I do it back here? No. Remember the prodigal was, he was in the pig pen with the pigs. He had to return to the father. You need to do this as a symbolic act this morning. I am returning to God today. I am returning to God today. Come on. Come on. There are others. I know that God is speaking to the hearts of people in this house. Come on. I'm returning to God today. Father, you see people across this room. You see them today. You know exactly where they are, God. You know exactly what's going on. You know these that are coming back to the Father this morning. They're the prodigals that are returning to the Father's household. And you are there to meet them. You're going to put a ring on their finger. You're going to put shoes on their feet. You're going to put a robe on their back. And you're going to, have, you're going to kill the fatty calf because that person, that son, that daughter that was lost has now been found. They were gone. They've now been, they're now returned. And they are now back in your good graces, Father. And now they're back in your love, basking in your love, experiencing your love, experiencing your forgiveness, experiencing everything and every benefit of the Father's household. You're doing that in the lives of these in this building this morning. Father, I pray for people standing in this room. I pray for people in their living rooms this morning that are watching this over the internet and that will watch it this week. In the name of Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, convict and draw right now. Convict and draw. Convict and draw. Bring us back to you, Jesus. You're not looking for perfection. You're just looking for a willing heart that wants to obey you. Do your work. Do your work in all of our lives. Do your work in all of our lives this morning. Do your work in all of our lives this morning. about those of you that are out there standing just slip your hand this way and just begin to pray for these that have come across come to the front this morning god we pray for these jesus a prayer of thanksgiving for their willingness to return to the father their willingness to respond to your holy spirit drawing work in our lives, Jesus. Do your work in our lives. For those of you that are here across the front, it's just simply as, as easy as I'm sorry, Jesus. I want to follow you again. I want to follow you again.
All right, now everybody that came down to the front, all of you that are here, I want you to look at me for just a second, okay? I want to give you some really good, we're going to end this thing on a high note. We're going to end this thing on a high note. How many of you ever played Monopoly? You know, remember there was part of that game where you couldn't pass go and you couldn't collect $200. You had to, you know, and all that kind of stuff. It doesn't work that way with Jesus. Here's how it works with Jesus. You don't go back to the beginning. The prodigal didn't go back and earn his way back into the dad, the father's good graces. The minute the father and the son were reunited, there was a ring and a robe and shoes and a party. And I'm telling you, you pick up where you left off. You don't start fresh. You just move from this point forward and you choose every day of your life. I will follow Jesus every day of my life. And I want my life to show that. It's that simple. And there's a great crowd of witnesses all over heaven right now watching this, looking down, watching this. But you know what's even better? There's a crowd of witnesses right here at Generations United Church that we're going to cheer you guys on as you go back to your seats this morning for the decision that you made this morning. Come on. How about it, church? You guys have made the decision. You're back in the Father's household. You're back in the Father's household. And you can do it. In the immortal words of the water boy, you can do it. Take your elements out this morning and let's have communion together. What a more beautiful thing to do than have communion together your first day back in the Father's house. Lift the bread. Father, we thank you today for your broken body. We thank you for everything that you've promised us and everything that you've done for us through your son, Jesus Christ. And we're grateful today for your broken body, Jesus. Shall we eat together? Lift the cup. Jesus, today we are experiencing once again the power of your blood in this house. It's the power of your blood that says all of our sin, past, present, and future, is washed away. And even though we've lived with this baggage and we've lived with this stuff and we've been away from you, we can always return home. And I thank you for those that have this morning. May your blood be more real today than before. In Jesus' name, shall we drink together? Let's pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the power and the glory forever. Amen. God bless you, Jim.